Welcome to the journey of an esthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. Dimitri Matheny. How are you, brother? How are you doing? It's been a long time, huh? It's been, it's been a minute. Can you hear my dog barking? Yeah. <laughs> I think Sassy's about to take her out, so she shouldn't be a problem. Okay, so she, uh, uh, so the dog is named after Sarah Vaughn? <laughs> no, no, my girlfriend's name is Sassy. The dog's oh. name is Scout. Okay, that's yeah. wonderful. Um, yeah. I want to introduce you just a little bit, say a few words. Uh, if you don't mind, um, yeah. this is Journey of an Esthete, and this is a podcast uh, dedicated to all of the arts in a most uh, comprehensive fashion. And I feel really honored to have on the episode today the great Dimitri Matheny. Dimitri Matheny is a flugelhornist par excellence, a brass player. He's also a very fine composer and educator, and all-around musician. And uh, I've known you for, what, 30 years? When did we first meet? Let's see. We met when I was 16, 17, mm -hmm. and I'm 54 now, so you do the math. It's been a while. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm 50. For a good long time. I'm 52. Yeah. Yeah, so we met at Interlochen. Yeah. And that was, what, how many years ago, man? A long time. That was in the early 80s. So, you know, I like yeah. to always do on my show, I don't know if you've listened to any episodes or not, but I always like to do a, a kind of a linear chronology. Yeah. Uh, starting from the beginning and in, in, uh, in hopes that out of that linear chronology, 
nonlinear things, which can be most interesting, will start to happen. Things will start to come into your consciousness and I like it. I like it. I, you know, I, I have dipped around in your in your podcast, listened to a little bit of several different episodes. Okay. Very much enjoyed uh, the 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 uh, world traveler and uh, the consummate musician. Oh yeah. Uh, I like your theme song very much, and I've already learned something, which is the correct pronunciation of esthete. Yeah. Turns out good. I've been mispronouncing that word my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What were you saying before? Something Southern that I'd rather not get into. <laughs> well, the, well, the South is good. So I'm, I'm glad you like the theme song because I wrote that, of course. That's yeah, beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd like to try part of my musical style is to do things that are, um, you know, purposely reminiscent of, of what we might call stock figures or popular things. That's right. You know, rather than shun those things, you know, you utilize them in music. Um, but, but getting, getting back to you, you've been doing that in your own music, but I don't want to get too far, far uh, ahead. Uh, do you want to go back and talk about interlocking or talk about earlier in, in Tucson, Arizona, or I know well, that interlocking is a nice place to start because it was the first time I ever encountered, you know, people, my own age who loved art and music, like I did, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always felt like kind of a, kind of a strange kid. You know, because I I wasn't into football and and you know the the hunting and the fishing <laughs> and the kind of stuff that my uh, friends were into. You know, in in the deep south, mm-hmm. you know, in Tennessee and Georgia, and and also in the lonesome desert in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, I had found a few friends, you know, a few like minded friends that were into jazz in Arizona, and we were doing what we could, you know, basically you know, studying with the one jazz musician in town and trying to figure out the nomenclature and listening to records and then kind of getting together in my buddy's garage and trying to play. But it wasn't until I came to Interlochen that I found out, you know, that there were actually kids my age that were as deep into music and everything as I was. And and that just changed my whole worldview. It really mm-hmm. opened up my eyes. And uh, so I'm I'm tremendously grateful for that period. And you know, one of the first people I met was you. You were down the hall from me mm-hmm. in our in our dorm. And yeah. and uh, man, I I instantly took a liking to you. <laughs> well, that's I, great. I really, I, I really did, man. Because well, I, I loved your sense of humor. I loved your your obsession with the 1970s television detective crime dramas. <laughs> we kind of bonded over that. <laughs> and uh, and music, of course. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. I remember that time very well. Um, I have a. I'm, I'm looking at a picture. Do you know this a newspaper clipping that says Chevy Man from the seventies? <laughs> and you have. And who is that now? This is a, this is some kind of used car salesman, correct? That you're oh, standing yeah. next to. Yeah, I, I believe his name was Tommy Stubbs. So Tommy Stubbs is a is a sale, car salesman. Yeah. In Tucson, and this newspaper clipping is that you won some sort of award or something, and it's like he has a. All right. All right, Mitch, you are really. Does he have? Does he have a? You're getting deep into my origin story here. (laughs) Check this out. out. I was a paper boy in an apartment complex. (laughs) I delivered delivered newspapers to all the people in this apartment complex where I lived. And you remember the March of Dimes telethon, the March of Dimes walkathon, absolutely, all that stuff. Of course. Yeah. So, so the deal was, if you, if someone would sponsor you for you know, a dime a mile and you'd walk all the, the thing, you know, then they'd, they'd pay the money and it would go to the March of Dimes. And 
And then for every page of sponsors that you filled up, your name would go into the drawing for, for these prizes that they would have. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I had this idea that I would get all my, you know, all my customers, uh, to sponsor me in the March of Dimes walkathon mm -hmm. because I wanted to win the third prize, which was a stereo with an eight track player. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted a stereo, you know, of so course. that I could listen to my, my records, you know, and in my room in my little den of iniquity and, and, mm -hmm. um, and uh were you, I so at that, at that time were you most were you more into Bill Chase and Man, Maynard Ferguson and uh You know too much, man. Were you listening were you listening <laughs> were you listening to like Conquistador or Jay Chataway's writing? Like um my goodness. I, I, yeah. I was all about Bill Chase. Yeah. Yeah. Open up wide. Open up wide and close up tight. Up tight. <laughs> or or to quote or to quote the man himself, our songs are about sex. Didn't he say that in the in the Oh, at, absolutely. At Faces, if, I think. If you take a close look at Tommy Stubbs, he could almost be a member of the Bill Chase band, you know, a little bit, if you take off that tie. and Do you think, do you think Tommy Stubbs uh, got his ties from the same place that Peter Brockman? Uh, almost, almost certainly he yeah. did, yeah. So <laughs> this, you're going you're gonna to alienate your audience with this insider stuff, Mitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> Peter Brockton. <laughs> Peter Brockton's a great, great music director. But anyway, um, so long story short, I was only 12 years old, but I, um, I got a phone call that I'd won the grand prize, which was a Chevy Chevette. Wow. And, um, I, of course I couldn't drive it. You know, I, I didn't have a driver's license. I was just a kid. And so Tommy Stubbs <laughs> made a deal with me that he would allow me to sell it back to him at cost, you know, at, at, at his, uh, whatever it was, the wholesale price or whatever. And I could keep the cash. Yeah. And I put it in the bank, and 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 that's how I paid for uh, my experience at Interlochen. That's a great story. Yeah. That's so really so it sort of actually story. ended up kind of connecting to to the thing. But yeah, that's a. I, I hadn't really thought about that in a long time, man. But that was, you know, I love that picture though because it's so of the era. Well, that picture is, of course, in my special file that I have. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have a '70s museum. I often think that I want to want to print that picture out and have it in my '70s museum. But my understanding is that you started with a file, and now you basically have an entire museum. <laughs> yeah, no I have a time. I mean, I, as you know, I have a Dick Van Patten's signed '80s Enough cast um, oh picture, and I've got yeah, I've got all kinds of things like that. Wow, I've got uh, I've got uh, Fast Break, uh, the soundtrack from Fast Break with Gabe Kaplan, and this is all. I've got basically every book ever written on Est and Werner Erhard, and I've got, um, but I've also got uh, musical things too, a lot of musical things. Yeah, of um, course, of course. And um, but I, I'm really interested in your your, your tone production. Uh, for, for listeners uh, listening about music, tone and, and changes in rhythm are three so important. And you're you're known for your sound, your tone, beautiful, just beautiful sound. I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead, but you developed that over some time and. So I guess when you were in Interlock and you were more into some more commercial brass music, right? You might say a big band. Well, um, I I um I had to kind of go back and and learn rudiments. I mean, I I did study in school and I did have a private teacher, but but um, prior to Interlock and uh, they weren't great. And while I was there, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, Mr. Lindenau there, mm -hmm. John Lindenau, he changed my embouchure. Mm. So, so when I got there, I, I, I you know, I had a, a range of about three notes because I completely started over. 
Hmm. And, and then also it was customary back then. Um, you know, I don't know if it's still this way at interlocking, but they were telling me, you know, man, you, and I, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on this, you know, Clifford Brown solo. Well, you need to, you really need to work on the Hummel. You know, you need to work oh, the on Hummel the Hummel Tropic Concerto. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were very, very into this idea that um, not just that you would be classically trained, but until you've mastered certain rudiments, uh, you know, of the instrument, uh, you really shouldn't be messing around with things like improvisation and syncopation and all of that. So. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was, that was a deep time for me. I mean, I, I did, I did, uh, kind of immerse myself in it. And, um, and the main thing in hindsight that really inspired me was, was, you know, all the other musicians that were there, you know, mm-hmm. people like yourself and also yeah. the artists and dancers and just the level of dedication, um, not just among the faculty, but among the students, it just knocked yeah, me out. But, I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that. Yeah. It's really, it was like a utopia in a sense, uh, at that yeah. time for, for me, it was, and, but you know, for yeah. those that don't know, Interlochen Arts Academy has, much like my podcast, very similar, very similar theme of all the yeah. arts. Like you said, there were poets there and people doing woodworking and ceramics and, and um, ballet dancers and, and all kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going, we're, you're, you're developing your embouchure and you, of course, this is some time before you meet and study with Art Farmer, right? Yeah, That's much later. Yeah. So do you, we want to sort of build up to that, I guess, or, or, um, what happens after Interlochen or at the, or at the, um, you- well, while I was at Interlochen, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you recall, but I, I came there in what would have been my junior year of high school. And I, I just fell in love with the place. Like you say, it was a utopia, you know? I mean, the whole thing, man, the seasons. And I, I, I had been living in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. And I had never experienced, you know, just walking through the snow in a pine forest, you know, to an icy lake. And, and just the whole thing was just magical mm-hmm. to me. And, um, and I wanted to stay. Yeah. And um, because I had, uh, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't been, uh, well, Long story short, in in order to stay, I needed to graduate from high school hmm. and then come there as a post grad. That's right. Because, because I wasn't I wasn't able to just transfer my credits and graduate with everybody, and um, and so I graduated from high school a year early. I went back to Arizona and and you know took all the tests and everything, yeah. got my high school diploma, wow. and then came to Interlochen for what would have been my senior year of high school, but then was actually post-grad. a post grad year, right. and I spent that year at Interlochen, and um, and that's when I first started falling in love with you know, all of these, you know, all of our heroes, right. people like, like, you know, Miles Davis and Freddie Hubbard and Art Farmer and Chet mm-hmm. Baker and, you know, and, um, and I credit Tom Knifik with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom, it was, I think it was his very first teaching position. Yeah. He, you know, he was a bassist and, and, uh, um, jazz musician and classical chamber music player. And, um, and he was the one who would, who was kept sending me to the listening library mm-hmm. and saying, you know, you need to listen to this and you need to check out that. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, that was the early days of their jazz program. They have a much more developed program now, but I don't know if you, you remember that listening library. I remember pretty- the listening library very well because I listened to yeah. music there. It's one yeah. of the few places I can, you can listen to music. Yeah. And um, it was astonishing what they had. I mean, yeah. they had quite a collection in there. Um, I, you know, I first discovered Booker Little in that, 
in that listening library, and that just changed my, you know, completely turned me around. You know. So if you so but, did, were you listening to the thing to do, or what? Was, mm-hmm. Yeah, what was the thing yeah. to do? Yeah. Um, so. And so, I imagine um, you probably listened to Clifford Brown and Max Roach sides. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, and Tom would point things out to me, like uh, you know, he would say, like, now listen on Pen Up House, you know, Clifford Brown. He finishes his solo, and then Sonny's got to come in and, and play after that. And what's he going to play? And Sonny's, you know, you know, this completely. Mm-hmm. And he's like, sometimes the thing to do is the opposite of what's going on. It's just like counterpoint, you know? Nice. And, and, and I mean, I think about that, those kinds of lessons all the time. And, and these are the kinds of things I learned at Interlock. And I just, I really love that place. I've been back a couple of times mm-hmm. and it's, it's interesting how little it has changed. I mean, it's grown and they have new buildings and new facilities, but it still has that kind of utopian idyllic, you know, atmosphere. Yeah. You know, I, I dig it. And um, so while I was there, um, there, there was a guidance counselor mm-hmm. that pulled me into the office and said, uh, you know, um, where are you going to go to, co- go to college? And I said, I, I don't know. And she goes, well, you haven't thought about it. And I was like, well, I guess I'll go to the university of Arizona. It, you know, it's in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, do they, do they have a good jazz program? And I said, I, I actually have no idea. Mm-hmm. And then she said, well, who have you auditioned for? And I said, I didn't even know that was a thing. He <laughs> wow. said, well, what are your SAT scores? And I said, what's that? Right. And so basically while I was in interlock and I had to do all the things that, you know, that one does, yeah. uh, I, and so she actually got on the phone and called around and she got off the phone. She said, okay, you, you need to audition for, you know, um, Miami and North Texas. And we have a relationship with DePaul and Chicago and they've got a good program. And, and, um, so basically they ended up helping me put together an audition tape and do those auditions mm-hmm. when the people came to the school and take my SATs and, and, and prepare. And, yeah. and at the end, um, I, you know, I had a few different scholarships and different places I could have gone to school. Mm-hmm. And, um, do you remember, uh, Kenny Werner and Billy Drews and yeah. those guys came, they Jamie came Haddad. to visit, they came to visit. Yeah. 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 And so they were there and, and, uh, we had the opportunity to, to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, I was like, well, should I go to North Texas or should I go to, you know, the university of Miami or should I go to Berkeley or should I go to Eastman or Manhattan? Like, where should I go? And they said, well, uh, it was actually, um, Kenny Werner mm-hmm. who said, you know, well, all of these are good programs and they all have good teachers but do you really want to spend the next five years of your life in Denton, Texas or Coral Gables, Florida? You know, you should go, he said, you should go to a cultural, culturally precious. That was the words he used culturally precious. You should go to Chicago or New York or Boston somewhere, you know, where you can, you know, immerse yourself in the arts and really, you know, that, because that's where you're going to live. That's really interesting because you went to Berkeley college of music, right? I did. And I I, I went to New, New England conservatory of music. Yeah, and we went there. I think at roughly the same time, yeah, both yeah. in Boston. Here's a piece of, of trivia about my own schooling. I was the only person. This would have been 1980. What was it? 85, six. I don't know. Some, somewhere in there, six. 85. I was I the only person in the freshman class to pass out of English one. Wow. On the strength of my essay. Wow. I wrote an essay that just blew away the. 
the faculty at NEC, and my essay was on the on the long term social historical effects of this new thing called the computer. Ha! That's interesting. And I wrote on that, and they said all these other essays are from you know they're music majors. They're about the new Coke because the, 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 the essay question was name some innovation that's going to be very significant. Yeah. And I guess some students actually wrote on the new Coke or something, or the old Coke, or what, unbelievably. <laughs> but I wrote on the computer. It seemed common sense, sensical. Wow! Wow! Well, you know, we, so when we were in Boston, yeah. I don't know if you you had this experience or not, but I I, I felt like um, a lot of the New England students were hanging out at Berkeley and vice versa. Yeah. So it, it seemed there seemed to be kind of a cross pollinization there. Yeah. And of course, of course, now they've Berkeley has you know, um, merged with uh, Boston Conservatory, and they're mm -hmm. buying up all this real estate down there. And it's right. actually a college campus now. When I was there, they didn't have a blade of grass. <laughs> uh, yeah. At least not of the... Anyway. <laughs> Dim Dimitri, do you have your flugelhorn there? I do, but it's it's in its case. Okay. Yeah. You want me to get it out? Well, eventually, because I, because yeah. I have in front of me a... a, a... Uh, uh, the lead sheet of, the, of our long-term project, and it has your name at the top. It says Dimitri Matheny. Oh, wow. and I've got this lead sheet here with all these measures, and it's 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 so it, the music is so basic. You will just hear it. You will just hear it. So, and I oh, thought wow. we could do a free improvisation on that. I'm just preparing the audience for uh, yeah. the, the warm sound of Dimitri Matheny. Um, yeah. But not not just yet. I guess we'll talk some more. And is there any, yeah. any anything so, else? We should, post, we should postpone that. Actually, my student. I've got a student named Ruben Delgado who's a uh, works on instruments, and he's got my horn. And I have a, a loaner from him that's not in the best shape. Uh huh. And so I don't actually. I didn't know we were going to play today. Um, however, I should have it back in the next few days. And if you want to do that at that time, I would love to. So you don't want to use this other horn. I'd rather not. Okay, that's fair. We'll schedule a time to do that, and we'll. Yeah, yeah, but but I would like to do it. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So it'll be on your horn. Yeah. Everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Um, is there anything you want to say before Art Farmer enters your life or about Art Farmer? Is that, is, would you say it's a significant um, uh, development? Well, just, just this, that, that you know, um, when I was about ready to graduate from Berkeley, um, which would have been 1989, mm -hmm. um, I, I was kind of scared. I was, I was kind of, I mean, you, you know, you and I had the, uh, jazz sextet together. Yeah, we had we, it. We played in the jazz sextet together all over town. That's right. And, and that we was, were working yeah. quite a bit, Yeah. but, but, you know, between that and playing in, you know, a big band with Rob Sheps and those guys yeah. and, and playing in a little Latin group and doing community theater, pit orchestra kind of stuff. Plus, working as a room service waiter and working in a bookstore. I yeah, I know. I know that you worked at the Sheridan Commander. That's right. And I, yeah. I, I, if you have any stories you want to share about that experience with our audience, you certainly can. Okay, it's up to you. Yeah, and I know, and I know, and I remember very well. You played a gig with the Temptations, right? Yeah, yeah. So there was, you know, they they had a contractor in town that would hire us 
you know, to play in the horn section behind different people that would come through town. So I was working, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't really like my approach that much. Huh. And, and also I wasn't really making a living. I mean, I was getting paid, but I, but I was, you know, it was, it was a struggle to pay my rent, mm. uh, every month. And, and I was kind of concerned about it. Like, what, what am I going to do? Plus I had this idea that if that Boston was, um, really dominated by, uh, the musicians who are either students or faculty at those two schools right, at, right. at New England and Berkeley. And that if I wasn't going to be a teacher at one of those schools, um, and I was no longer going to be a student, it sort of effectively means you're kind of out of the loop. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I found myself thinking, well, so do I want to stay in Boston or do I want to go somewhere else? And I right. didn't know where I wanted to live. And, and I was just had sort of a general feeling of, of uh, trepidation about starting my life and my career. And, um, may I ask and, you, a, may I ask you a technical question? It's on topic. Sure. Um, yeah. you were doing, you were playing some really, I'd imagine some written parts and horn sections mm -hmm. that we might associate with, uh, Al Jarreau's group in the mid eighties or Jerry Hay. Yeah. Is there anything stand out to you about some of the charts you were doing or anything that you want to say about that? Because I, I don't know what you came across or what you were playing. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, if you if you you mentioned the Temptations, you know, mm -hmm. if you if you think of uh, that music, I mean, that that music uh, has live horns with with written parts and people when you sing, it's almost like secondary melodies. You know, you, mm -hmm. you think of the song. And you think of the the lyrics being delivered by the vocalist, and then you immediately start thinking of the, the little horn figures that come in. That's this true with Stevie Wonder's music. It's definitely true with Al Jarreau's music. Mm -hmm. It's something that's that's being lost in in a lot of contemporary music. This idea that the the bass motion is also a melody, and the horn parts are also a melody. And and I, I feel like you're uh, talking about you're talking about the loss of counterpoint and the loss of um, yeah. Yeah, and, and the that. sort of contour, the melodic line, you know, in, yeah. in all these different aspects of the music. And and um, I came to love that. And, and it's actually part of what I grew to love about Art Farmer because, mm. you know, no no one had, had a, a a sound like him or a command of, of melody the way he did. Both, both the, the written line and the improvised line is just, you know, melodically so absolutely strong and solid. So, yeah, so yeah. if we're talking about Art Farmer, I want to mention, of course, the Azure album. Yeah, which is a, a masterpiece, album. absolutely uh, with Fritz Power. Yeah. Um, had yeah. you did you hear that before you studied with him, or around this? I mean, I think you actually introduced me to that album. Oh, okay. If, if I recall, that would yeah. make sense. Yeah. Uh, I while we were there, while we were in Boston, I I just fell in love with his recordings and started, um, you know, I actually uh, started kind of mimicking him as best I could. And, mm -hmm. and, and there was a, um, there was an album he made called warm Valley mm. for Concord. Yep. And um, they, they had printed his address on the back of, of the album, <laughs> Vienna, Austria. Right. You know, he was, he was lucky he didn't live in Boston cause I would have gone to, you know, his doorstep like right. a crazy person. But well, I that, actually that's very making... that's very um, um, common in the seventies and eighties to have very homespun albums like that, right? In I a know. way, wouldn't you agree that records were an art form, a handcrafted art form? Oh, yeah. I mean, for example, I have a Nat Adderley album, or all those albums that uh, artist music or creative house music with Charlie Hayden and Hampton Hawes. Yeah, and when you buy a Hampton Hawes Charlie Hayden album, there'll be like an illustration, there'll be a watercolor painting, 
There'll yeah. be, you yeah. know, a Thad Jones, Mel Lewis record. We'll have a transcription of Jerry Dodgen's solo on um, yeah. Central or, Park or, North. and or, or, or Polaroid photos, you know, right. uh, candid Polaroid photos from their lives on the inside, you know, when you'd open That's up the right. panel. You know, yeah. It's remarkable. So, this was, so I started sending him these cassette tapes of me trying to play along with him. Wow. And then, and then writing, I would write, you know, you know, Mr. Farmer, you know, in, in bar nine, you know, there's a B flat in the melody, but you played a B natural. Did you do that on purpose? Or, you know, was that, <laughs> did you, and then, you know, you play this line behind Jerry Mulligan and did you make that up or did you guys work that out in advance? And, you know, I was, I, you know, I was obsessed. And of course I never heard back from him. I never got a letter, never, uh-huh. never got any response, but I kept sending these, these tapes and these letters into the ether. Uh-huh. And then there was a session at school and, um, I met this bass player, Peter Herbert, Oh yeah, and and Peter came over to me and he was like, "Hey, um, uh, you, you like Art Farmer?" And I was like, "Yeah, I, I do like Art Farmer." And he yeah. goes, "Yeah, would you like to meet him?" And and I said, "Well, what do you mean? Would I like to meet him? Of course. I mean, I I I've got all his recordings. I mm-hmm. I love him. I'd love him. But but why would you?" He said, "Well, because I'm his bassist, mm-hmm. and we're we're playing at the Village Vanguard. And would you like to come with mm-hmm. me? And I'll introduce you. You know." So I may I ask I, you, what, 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 I'm, was I was I'm guessing that Cedar Walton or Fred Hirsch would have been the pianist in it. It was Fred Hirsch. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, uh, Rufus Reed, Akita Rufus Tana. Reed. Of course, yeah. And uh, man, what a band! You know. Well, that was a great era in music. It really that was. whole era. Like, it, there's all this stuff that's coming out. These bootlegs of the mid '80s, late '80s, mm-hmm. and you can hear basically Michael Brecker and Don Grolnick, right, with Will Lee. Yeah, and the music is just so versatile. They do a funk piece, they'll do a swing, swinging piece that swings. Yeah, it's just um, and that was part of that mix, right? That was that whole sweet basil and, and Vanguard and right, the whole period. right, right. Well, you know, all those mus- musicians came through the seventies. They had careers in the seventies, yeah. and there was sort of a in the eighties. There was sort of a, a a return to to straight ahead jazz, right. But a lot of them had made many great recordings that were kind of funky. You know, there's the whole CTI thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Art Farmer is no exception. You know, he, he made a bunch of those records, too. And so they have this underpinning, even when they're playing something straight ahead and swinging, you know, you there there is a kind of a flavor that they have because because they remember the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you, go back further in time, when you talked about Jerry Mulligan and Art Farmer, yeah. Or asked, uh, were you were you thinking of uh, the Johnny Mandel "I Want to Live" soundtrack? Yes, you were. Yep. So I it, love it's that. Susan, I love Hay- that so Susan much. Hayward. Susan Hayward. That is the best, man. And that's a great film. It's a wonderful film. It's a deep film about the death penalty and about um, yep. survival and politics. And her, and her performance is just oh, it's arresting. Would you say so? The audience that doesn't know was that an innovative score? Was that the first Hollywood definitely, score? To- definitely, and it's also one of those one of those great confluences of of film noir and jazz. You know, there 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 are like five or six, maybe I don't know, maybe a dozen films that when you think of jazz and film noir, and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. It was, that's a great one, yeah, for sure. So you got to you got to meet uh, you went to the Vanguard. I got to meet Art Farmer and I and I spent the next ten years you know kind of following him around like a puppy. Wow! And, and taking lessons and carrying his case and and pestering him with questions and 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 it it really he really uh, made a big difference for me because you know he maybe believed that it was possible to do this for a living. Mm-hmm. 
This is my city. A faraway city on a lost peninsula at the edge of the world. A tragic, romantic city of secret hopes and deadly dreams. A city so heartbreakingly beautiful, anyone who doesn't love it is either too sane or too sober. Herb Kane calls it Baghdad by the Bay. Eddie Muller calls it the Noir City. Tony Bennett calls it America's Paris. I call it home. It's springtime in San Francisco and a chill is in the air. That's the chill of your own mortality, sneaking up on you from the shadows, like the sound of a saxophone under a street lamp in the fog. Out there in the night are a thousand crime scenes. People are bruised up, beat down, hurting, hungry, and desperate. In the distance, the banshee wail of a police siren rises and falls. This is our city, no worse than any other. It's lively and lusty and full of pride, yet lost and lonesome and full of pain. It all depends on where you sit and what you need. Me, I need a drink. I need a vacation. I need a winning ticket and a new point of view. But what I've got is a coat, a hat, and a horn. So he was the eminently practical, straightforward person. You know, I, I remember I took all these music business classes at Berkeley, and it seemed all it all seemed very kind of I don't know you know the Harry Fox Agency and the you know ASCAP and BMI and residuals and contract negotiation and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, how do I get this bartender to listen to my demo tape? You know, that that was the kind of stuff I would you know. How do you get a bass on an airplane? Yeah. 
Very practical know, questions. And the practical kind of stuff. And actually, yeah. those, those questions aren't really necessarily practical. They actually have, I believe, transcendental um, implications. How so? Well, because if you can't get a bass on the airplane, the gig won't happen and the music won't happen. <laughs> you got that right. So what that, what that means is that the things that we think of as practical actually are, are also lofty, is what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. that's just a theory to that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, but, I, but I, I want to hear some stories. Did you get to meet Cedar Walton at that time? I never met Cedar Walton. Uh, when, when I after I started recording for Monarch, he was one of the star artists that was on that label, hmm. and so I, I got to hear him a few times, you know, in these. But you know, and and I I would say I met him in the sense of hi, how are you? I'm Dimitri, but I yeah. never actually got a chance to talk to him or get to know him. Um, but I, I I certainly loved his music. I mean, I only ask about him because he was a fairly regular pianist with Art Farmer. I don't know you were following Art Farmer around. I don't know who. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in those years, uh, it was a, it was a lot of um, uh, Fred Hirsch, and then after that, it was almost always Jeff Keezer. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. I see. Um, just what comes to mind when you think about studying with Art Farmer? Things he talked about, things he uh, liked or disliked, things that were important to him. Uh, uh, just anything. I mean, okay. Well, well, musically, um, he he was a master of melody. And he believed that melody is uh, is the soul of a song. He would say, you know, there's melody, harmony, rhythm, form, phrasing, nuance, articulation, intonation, but melody above all. Melody mm -hmm. comes first. Mm -hmm. Melody matters most. If I wasn't playing a melody, he would stop me and say, what are you doing? And mm -hmm. I would say, I'm improvising. He goes, no, you're not. You know, you're, you're playing some pattern that you've practiced. Mm -hmm. You know, play a melody, you know, and play from the heart and, and play like you mean it. You know, that kind of thing. Wow. And, and what was interesting about it was, you know, you know, I don't know about NEC, but at Berkeley, they've kind of codified this whole, you know, Monday morning quarterback kind of like, you know, you, you transcribe, you know, Mitch plays a solo and we really like the solo. So we transcribe it and then we go, look, here's this thing he plays. He starts on the natural nine and then he plays this descending bebop scale. Let's take that and let's learn that in all 12 in all keys, keys. Yeah, that's right. and plug it in whenever we see this chord change. And that was a lot of what, what I had studied in school. And I mean, then I, I mean, you know, I, you know, I never learned this music that way at all. Well, you're, you're, I think you're fortunate. I mean, I actually, actually, partly because I don't really understand, I don't hear music that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hear music in more, it's, it's complicated. Like I hear more, for me, it's more about the overall. Yeah. So it's more about the tonality you're in and the key and things like that. Right. Well, think, you have that in common with Art Farmer. I mean, he, he was very much that way. Now he practiced every day and he practiced etudes and he practiced chord scales and oh, all wow. that stuff. But if I'd ask him, I was like, you know, hey, can you, you know, can you play C sharp diminished on an A7 flat nine? He would say, stop thinking that way. There's one scale. It's a chromatic scale. You can play any note you want, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and, and that blew my mind because, you know. Well, in, in that sense, he's very similar to Hal Galper, right? For sure. Because Hal Galper yeah. says that chord scale theory is bogus. He called it bogus or... Yeah, yeah. Um, because because well, music you know, music is about melody. Galper would say that, but then you you check out somehow Galper. He's using chord scale theory. He's he's using it, but maybe he's being taken there by his ear. It's all the not, ears. Yeah, it's all yeah, the ears. Yeah, yeah. So that's so that was really arts um, arts method and his and his wisdom was this kind of 
listen and react and being in the moment and, and trying to play melodically. And then, and then this, the other thing about him was that, you know, he had this really, it, it actually, uh, he, he grew up in Phoenix and he, and he had a, but he had this kind of Southern, uh, I don't know how to say it. There was a certain kind of straightforward, but colorful worldview that he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were things he used to say, like, I remember one time I asked him, what the secret to band leading is because, you know, he would live in Vienna. He'd come over and he'd, you know, he'd, he'd have like a, you know, a reunion thing with the, the jazz tet, or mm-hmm. he'd have a, you know, he'd, he'd have a, he'd play, he'd go out to San Francisco, for example, and he'd play with a San Francisco rhythm section. That's right. And yet they would always sound great. And, and, you know, the bands would sound polished and mm-hmm. swinging and together. And I was like, you know, what's, how do you do that? Um, because you're not, you know, it's not always like the the quintet on the tour bus. Yeah, no. So, so basically, they're not rehearsing; they're doing it on the right, on the, right. They do it as a sound check, yeah. and, and how is that possible? And um, and I asked him that two or three different times, and I got two or three different answers. Oh, you wow. know, one about preparation, and one about the book, and 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 you know, having sketches, and but not being married to them, and letting people do what they do. But one time he said, Dimitri, if you find you're the smartest cat in the room, you're in the wrong room. Mm. You know, so he his whole thing was like hire the best people and surround yourself with great people and and then just kind of mm. let them do what they do and get out of their way. Yeah. You know, which which is something that I've taken very much to heart. Right. That's that's a good that's a do you do you share some of these things when you speak motivationally or I try to. Yeah. Uh, what, one of the things that's challenging about that is that is that um sometimes the people aren't ready for that kind of thing. And you don't want to contradict what they're studying in school. If you go visit a college or mm-hmm. or something and do a workshop, you know, there, there are, you don't want to tell people that there's only one scale. It's the chromatic scale. <laughs> you got to stay away from that. But, yeah. but, but the idea, but the idea that, uh, that, there are there are some, some tried and true techniques of being a band leader and making a living in this music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, that great day in Harlem picture. Yes. At the top of the pyramid in the very back in the middle is Art Farmer. That's right. And, and, and I asked him about that. I was like, what, you know, why were you standing there? And he said, cause I got there early. Mm-hmm. And, and then he said, if you're on time, you're late. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I try to show up early for things, but that's me. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you learned that from him. Huh? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I probably learned as much from him about life um, as about music. And and I and I'll also say this that that uh, there were some things he said to me then, you know, that that I didn't quite get. Hmm. And then I'll I'll think of them now and go, oh, that's what he meant by that, you know. Give me an example of one of those things, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, I was asking him about managers and agents you know, and, and stuff like that. And he's like, well, you know, you should surround yourself with people that you trust. Mm. And it, it might just be one or two people. He's, if he, and he says, if you can find somebody, you know, that you really trust, that's gold in this business, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what if, you know, if, 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 when you, you know, when you reach a certain point, but the reason I asked him is, you know, he had this long relationship with Helen Keene mm. and, 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 you know, he had, you look at his career and he's on 40 different labels and he's had, you know, major labels and independent labels and little homespun records and off and on and, and all this stuff, but all through it, there was this sort of through line of, um, 
you know, he would he would continually co collaborate with Fritz Power, and he had you know he, he had Helen Keen in his corner, um, and you know, so he he basically said that, I mean, he put a positive spin on it, but that most people can't be trusted. And that mm. if you find someone that you can trust, you stay with them no matter what. You have ups and downs. You don't, you know, when you get when you go up, you don't you don't uh, upgrade and get a big manager, get a big powerful agent. Mm. You stay with the person that's been there with you from the beginning. That's you know, mm. and um, and you know another thing was about like you know when you're negotiating something, if you have the opportunity to to get your get your fee and uh, get paid your fee as opposed to. Um, the promise of big residuals later on, take the fee. Sure. You know, if yeah. you have, if you have, uh, uh, some, uh, composers or publishing rights, don't give them away to a label, hang on to those. And I actually messed that up. I, I, I ended up giving away some music that I shouldn't have given away. And, and mm. so that, you know, there's a certain wisdom that the old cats had. Oh Yeah. At, that uh, that's also getting lost. And, and um, oh, another one that, that I didn't quite get was about lyrics to ballads. Ah. So, so, you know, they, uh, Art and his contemporaries, they would learn the lyrics to a song. They didn't, you know, Art never sang. No. As far as I know. Well, that was the rule. Like, I think Jimmy Heath and Ben Webster say that, said that. Learn the okay. lyrics. And, and of course, Dexter Gordon was always. Yeah, well, Dexter Gordon, I know, would famously recite lyrics before he would play the, the ballad. Mm -hmm. But I remember we were working on uh, polka dots and moonbeams, mm. and and Art said, you know, he stopped me and he said, "What are the lyrics right here?" And and I I was like, I, I don't know, something about a pug nose or something. <laughs> pug, he, pug nose dream. I beg yeah, your pardon. Yeah. And he said, look, look, go home and learn the lyrics, and then we'll work on this again. You know. And I thought, what is this? Is it is it because? At the time, I thought it must be because if it's like a love song and I understand the import of the song, then I'm going to play in this more loving way or some kind of – I thought it was some kind of esoteric thing like that. Mm -hmm. And it's not like that at all. It's about phrasing. Mm -hmm. It's about if you're singing the, the in your mind's ear, if you're singing the song, you're going to phrase like a singer. You're going to play lyrically. Otherwise, you'll just take a breath when you run out of breath, you know, mm. and in and, and the middle of a phrase. Also, you, you, you always know where you are if you're doing like a standard song form, yeah, like a like a 32-bar song. You know, you know, a lot of musicians are like, are we at the bridge yet? How many A sections have no. gone by? You know, but you'll know when you're at, when you're at the bridge. You got to internalize Bridge it. lyrics yeah. in your mind, you know, you know, let's ride with the family down the street, you know. <laughs> You know you're at the bridge because you're at the bridge lyrics. So, so it's about it's, <laughs> you're talking about the you're talking about the Flintstones. Yeah, man, it's a yeah. practical. It's completely eminently practical. If you're singing that song in your head, you're going to play a different way. You're going to breathe a different way. You're going to follow the cadence. You know, it's not going to be you know, bop lick, blues lick, Miles quote. You know, stringing together patterns. You know, it's mm -hmm. going to it's going it's going to be. You're going to be playing something that's either based on the melody or you're going to be jazzing the melody or, or embellishing the melody or playing a counterpoint to the melody. But the melody is going to have this kind of uh, architectural – anyway, I don't mean to – it's just one of those things that I didn't really get it at the time, but I, I feel like I get it now. Yes. And, and well, so I, I, I have to say that your mu you music shows that you get it. Thank and, you. And uh, I do want to uh, mention some of your current projects – um, would you like to talk about, um, you did a project of Burt Backrack music. Is this true? Or you are doing? Yeah. Something? Yeah. So every year, one of the things that, that, that's kind of a, um, 
it's it's it can be a negative, but I've kind of made it a positive that a lot of the presenters, like the, the concert presenters, they want to know sometimes two, three years in advance what you're going to do, what program you're going to play, like as if you're a classical touring, you know, and you know, jazz musicians, we, we like to decide that day what tunes we're going to play that night, you know, it's and so that's kind of hard to do. So I started putting together these these themed programs. Wow, excellent. You know, so we would do like a jazz from the silver screen. Or we did a film noir project. I know that you have. I should mention you have an interest in film noir going back decades. Yeah, and I, I know that. It. I know that. When I was playing with you. You were writing. Uh, was it? Was it Ozone Park? Was that it? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you were writing music that was um, filled with noir. Had a noir drenched in noir. I would say drenched in, in noir. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's been a, a lifelong obsession for sure. But these, but yeah. you mentioned Burt Bacharach, so. Uh-huh. I've always loved his tunes, and um, and so I thought, okay, well, let's do a let's do a year where we we just do arrangements of back rack material, and we did that all year last year. Yep. This year we're doing Stevie Wonder. We're doing oh, a, wow. a jazz spin on Stevie Wonder tunes, and you know these these are like weapons grade earworms, man. These are, I mean, they're they're really really strong songs. Um, well, Stevie you know, Wonder is a is a fabulous composer. Absolutely. I mean, I got to say my two great Stevie is a great example, too, of that thing of, you know, if you if you check out the bass line of these songs mm-hmm. or the horn parts of these songs, that they're like a, a whole different, a whole nother melody. So it's just a it's just a way of, of conceiving of a pop song. It's not just about a hook, but it's about all of these melodies interweaving. Which Yeah. yeah so if, it, if you it. um if well, you haven't heard it, heard this in a while, um, the two versions of Too High. Um, oh, yeah. Joe Farrell's on Penny Arcade. Okay. With that Herbie Hancock road solo. I don't know it. I'll have to uh, check you, it out. It's a, yeah, Penny Arcade, Too High. Joe Farrell, okay. it's remarkable. It's actually one of, and also, of course, Freddie Hubbard's live version on Glean. Yeah. With George Cables. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, I'm just thinking of that one song, Too, too High. Yeah, but. yeah. I don't know what material you're going to do. You're probably going to do a lot of stuff, probably. What are you preparing or what are you? Oh, man. Um, well, hold on. I'll get the book and I'll tell you everything we've been playing. Okay? <laughs> just just a second. Give me a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything was very clear. And, um, you know, they, they need to talk about transitions or something. He would, when he would basically get together and, on the sound check and talk down the set, you know, mm-hmm. he would say something like, you know, we're going to do this one as a ballad and we're going to play two choruses. And at the top of the second chorus, let's have a bass solo and I'll come back in at the bridge. Everybody got that. Okay, good. You know, and, and then they, they wouldn't even play it until the, until the downbeat. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, you're only able to do that when you've got someone like Fred Hirsch, <laughs> you yeah. know, like he, he I love Fred Hirsch. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, well, it's um, it's uh, I, you know, the caliber of musician is important, certainly. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly uh, the case with uh, with you, Dimitri Matheny. So you're in, you're in that, you're in that company, and in that, I, in that, yeah. You know. I, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, I often feel like what I'm doing is is a fan fiction. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. I mean. I just watched the Star Wars movie yesterday. Okay. And um and I came away from it with this really weird feeling and it was it was something about it that reminded me of of 
the music business. And I couldn't quite, I mean, first of all, it's, it's fantastic. You know, uh, John Williams mm-hmm. is basically a John Williams concert with a light show, you know, that's <laughs> how so I could yeah. conceive it. But, but I came away from it and I was like, no, wait a minute. Here's the deal. Wait. So, so Luke is dead. Leia's dead. Darth Vader's mm-hmm. dead. Obi-Wan is dead. Yoda is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, Han is dead. And I'm just supposed to suddenly care about all these new kids and their adventures. And then I realized that's exactly how it, <laughs> that's how I feel about the music business. Right, sure. You know, you know. Well, I mean, it's I, I'm I mean I'm trying to get excited about some of some of this new stuff, but but still, I and I go back to these Booker Little records, and man, Booker Little on Candid, you it has yet to be surpassed. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's, it's I, get off my lawn," said the grumpy old man. Well, yeah, there is. People do have a sense of generational identity, yeah, and generational yeah. experience, yeah, yeah. And of course, uh, a movie as big as the Skywalker picture, yeah, which I which I have not seen. Um, uh, oh, sorry about the spoilers. Oh no, I, I don't. I don't mind. It's not. I just only mentioned that because we we I can't really speak with you about it because I don't. I'm ignorant. Yeah, I'm actually profoundly ignorant about that franchise because I haven't yeah. because I have not been following it. Yeah, I've been following other things. You know, time is you got to only follow certain certain things. So. Well, see, I, you have to remember that I identify with Luke Skywalker just as a as a whiny kid in the lonesome desert, you yeah. know, cr- craving adventure. You know, sure. <laughs> well, because you came from a, you were never whiny, but you were from the lonesome desert. <laughs> I never saw you as whiny. Oh, thank you. Do you still have that dashika you wore? What was that? Um, oh my goodness! You know what that was? What Here's a that? true confession. Uh, probably never said this in any time on anything remotely publicly. And right now on, on your, uh, uh, podcast, um, I had seen a photo of Elvin Jones in one of the jazz trades, like downbeat or jazz times or something. He wore that. And he was wearing a dashiki. That's right. And I, and I thought, Hey, that's, that looks cool. You know, that looks like a, that's, that looks like a jazz musician. I'm going to get some clothes like that. Right. Sure. And, and so, but I didn't realize, you know, as like a 14 year old white kid in, in the desert, I hadn't, I had no concept of, of like the kente cloth and like the, you know, what it represents Mm -hmm. to an African American and identity and, you know, the race issue. I had no concept. I just thought it looked cool. Yeah, well, I only I only asked that because uh because I was looking at the back cover of the Thad Jones Mel Lewis record. Yeah. Do you know the one of Potpourri? Of course. And, and yeah. I were looking at it, I thought, well, I thought Demucci had that had that same top, had a top like yeah. that. <laughs> and also on the Potpourri record, it gives everybody signs, so it'll say Jer- Jerry Dodging is a Leo and Right. You know, Sir, well, Sir Ingrid, Roland Ingrid Harris. Bliss, man. I, I I had no idea that I was copying black culture. I really didn't know. I mean, I mean, in one sense, my entire life has just been an exercise in cultural appropriation. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a um, of course, that's very important. That issue is very important to people now. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. My show is sort of about art making. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of um, my show is meant to be an alternative to other podcasts. Yes. Because other podcasts are very partisan. Yeah. Other podcasts are, for example, Ezra Klein or um, I don't know. I'm just thinking, picking, picking names out of a hat. Yeah. Someone covering a a, a a controversy over a TV show. 
Yeah. So another another podcast would be about the controversy of of was the was the shooting of the affair ethical, right? Or you know that kind of thing. Or yeah, well, 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 hold on, hold on. for introducing a, a moment of pop culture into this with the Star Wars reference. No, no, oh no, no, no. I don't want to be misunderstood. My yeah. no, actually, it's perfect because my show is about talking about the affair. Yeah. And Skywalker, but talking about it from the point of view of if there's somebody, you know. Somebody 24, and that's their second film, about what it was like working with this particular director and the shooting yeah. script. So, sure. my, so my thing is about that aspect of it rather yeah. than, you know. You're not, you're not leaning into the partisanship and controversy and all Yeah, that. I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not as, that's enough for another kind of podcast. I'm not interested right. in how many 50-year-olds like it versus yeah. how many 18-year-olds like it. Now, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's the sociology of art. That's, yeah, a very that's, big, that's a very big subject in art. That's true. And it's a very, it's an important subject in art. Right. But I, I'm kind of after more eternal matters, you might say. Right. So for well, me, it's, you know, yeah, so, yeah. But on the subject of aging and uh-huh. being, a, being a musician and aging, I found myself recently in these, in these conversations about uh, certain, certain of, of, of the younger artists right now that are getting a lot of play that, that play in this, in this, uh, in this, they use a lot of chromaticism. Mm-hmm. You know, in in their improvisations and in their melodies, and and they're not so concerned about about things like the chord changes of a song and mm-hmm. the the you know architecture of a song. It's mm-hmm. much more about the feeling of something and the groove, and then the sort of chromatic mm-hmm. kind of playing. And 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 I hear myself saying, being dismissive of this stuff in the same way that I remember older people being dismissive of music that I loved. When I was younger, yeah, and and going, okay, I, I have to take a step back and realize this is just my old, this is my bias, this is a bias that's yeah. generational, and and so now yeah. what I'm really trying to do when I do these workshops and and I'm talking to a, a room full of college kids and I say, mm-hmm. hey, what are you guys into? What are you listening to? And they say, oh, we love EDM music. Mm-hmm. I, I'll say, well, tell me about it. Tell me what. Tell me some good stuff to check out, and tell me what it is yeah. that you like about it. Yeah. You know, like I really want to find out what that is and get at it as opposed to just dismiss it out of hand because, sure. it, you know, there are no two five ones or whatever, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, well, these are these are really just different styles. Um, sure. And styles have a have a dimension that has to do with fashion. Yes. And fashion. Um, fashion can last. Indeed. As much as fashion can die. Yeah, yeah, both can happen. So well, you a, have a you have a, a knack for uh, classic dress. You know, you you oh well, that's a whole you other dress, subject. You, you yeah. dress well, but you don't seem to be a, a fashion victim. Well, I'm not as interested in that. You know, really. I mean, I'm not as interested in, in conformity or in that sense, or, or 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 what happens to be trendy. Yeah, although I'm aware of it. Yeah, I have a lot yeah. of opinions about. It. I'm very aware of it. Yeah. But you'd have to sometimes you'd have to pull my leg or twist my arm for me to talk about it. Yeah. Because I'm also a Libra. Uh-huh. And, and astrologically Librans don't want to offend anybody. So you believe for, in that stuff, man? Huh? Do you believe in that I, stuff? I pers- I per- I personally do believe in astrology. Yeah. But this is not the time to get get into a um I mean I'm, I'm the kind of believer in astrology that I've read everything debunking astrology. Sure. Well, so, I don't understand astrology, and you know what Stevie Wonder says. Is he in the astrology? I'm sure he's in the Stevie astrology. Wonder says when you believe in things that you don't understand, you suffer. Um, okay. 
but that's that's okay. That's I mean, yeah, superstition. Yeah, that's right. So I, I think uh, 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 you know, I don't mean to. I mean, I'm being. I'm half not totally serious here. Yeah. I was just describing something about but my person. Yeah, but of course, even if you don't believe that, you could say that that diplomatic part of my nature comes from something else. It could be genetic. So I'm a, I'm a Capricorn. What can you tell me about my proclivities? Uh, you're like Jesus, uh, John mm-hmm. John Prine and Chris Christopherson. Eat, or, eat organic foods and never wore no shoes. Funky, <laughs> funky bunch of friends, long hair. I reckon if he come around, we just string him up again. Is it, yeah, it's like the song, right? Jesus, Jesus was All a right. Capricorn. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take Chris Christopherson. Yeah. Uh, this has been a great discussion, Dimitri. Um, and I'm really, uh, uh, I'm happy to have had you on this show. Thank you, man. We are going to, uh, have a, have an extra music thing. If you were so inclined. Groovy. Do you want to, we're going to schedule that and that'll be like part of this at the end. We will just schedule that at a different time when your instrument is cool and let me know dates and. Yeah, man. It'll be very brief and short, but it'll be musical and uh, and it'll be uh, improvised, and we'll get to hear a live. Um, we'll get to hear the Dimitri Matheny sound in live. Well, as best as my little snowball podcast mic can pick it up. Okay. So, <laughs> D- Dimitri, is there anything else you want to add in 2020, a new year, about music or about flugelhorns or anything well, else? I just you want hope to you and I get a chance to see each other, man. Yep. You know, it's been too long. It has been a long time. We're going to do this, in, in, I guess, in Washington, right? I would love that. I've never been there. It's nice, man. You gotta, you gotta appreciate green and rain. Uh huh. And you know, it's 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 often wet here and lush, and and mm-hmm. uh, it's very it's very different from other parts of the country. But I I love it. Well, I live in the mountains now, so I'm. I'm... How do you like that? Um, I, it's, it's, I both love it and dislike it. And, and, per, I, think and, and perhaps, an, I think of you as an urban animal, man. I am an urban animal, but I'm not I, living. I, I picture you in the Japanese talking to strangers. Well, I, I still do that here, except there aren't any strangers. That's the, so there's no strangers. Oh, and there's, that's, the, that's the problem. There's no right? strangers, but there's everybody also. Everybody knows everything about everybody. Everybody knows everybody. And there's a lot of rain. So I, the reason why I thought of this is that you talk about rain. Yeah, it's been raining yeah. for 20 48 hours straight here. In That's happened to me, man. Oh, you love rain. I love it. That's interesting. My dad, when I was a kid, he would say, son, it's raining. Let's go. Like, and we'd go out and walk in it. It's important. Yeah. And so we did that in Georgia and Tennessee. But in Arizona, you can't do that because sometimes you'll be the only vertical thing out there. And you don't want to be out there in a rainstorm with the lightning and whatnot. You know, I really hate to say goodbye, but it's coming. All good things come to an end. Yeah, baby. Um, so what do you this want? It's a lot of fun. Anything else you want to say before we go? Because it's your. Oh, gosh. Uh, not really, man. This has been terrific, man. It's been a pleasure. And and uh, and I look forward to playing your piece. Yeah. Well, it's going to be mostly free and you're going to have to use your ears. And so basically it's going to be in the in the department of a little less planning and more. Um, little less planning and more feeling. I'm down like In a clown, Charlie Brown. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dimitri Matheny. Go see him anytime he's in town. Go see Dimitri Matheny. You'll, Thank you'll, you, you'll never hear a sound like his. and It's it's just one of a kind. Thank you. Thanks, Mitch. Thank You're you. a prince. Right. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.